You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama on your Tuesday afternoon. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody has had a solid start to their work week. Phone lines are open. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Once again, the number to call, 334-321-1390. Maybe you haven't had the best start to your work week sports-wise and you want to get something off your chest or maybe you're excited about something we want to hear from you find levi and i on twitter as well you can tweet at us at point gardner at levi fitzwater i want to start off the show i got a message from a listener yesterday oh we love those yes we do and it is about auburn's defense and it's a question about auburn's defense and so here we go Derek Mason normally runs a 3-4 defense. Kevin Still ran a 4-2-5, mostly 4-3-4-2-5. How does this base defense matter? The formation should be based on what teams do offensively in terms of their offensive philosophy. So a pass-oriented offense would be better served with a 4-2-5 right or uh, where a run is possibly better served against a 3-4. Just curious about why defensive coordinators have a base defense when it really depends on what teams normally do. Seems like more teams today are balanced or pass-oriented, so surely Auburn wouldn't stay in a 3-4. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, you know, the question being, you know, brought up right there. You do see a lot of shifting on defense. You might have a base defense, but it is is in this age where you see defenses adjusting to what the offense is doing on the other side just to try to make sure that they can put their guys in the best position to stop the other guys. And sometimes you can see formations. You see teams go out of formations to kind of adjust what the offense is doing. The thing is with the base, that's where you're that's where you're comfortable with. That's where you have your guys in there, where that's where you're set up, and that's where you're bringing in these guys to play that specific scheme. Because if you look at, say, Auburn last year, where most of the time they're just running – one linebacker out there at certain times they're not going to go into a 3-4 scheme really ever because they don't have the bodies to rotate them in and out that's kind of why you have that base scheme it's just to so you know what guys to get what guys you want to bring in to play the specific scheme in the NFL we see teams in divisions because you know who you're playing every year and the SEC is no different so I would imagine this is done at the collegiate level as well but it's talked about more often in the NFL because you're playing the same six games every year in your division and typically you see defenses correlate in what positions that you're going to amp up on your defensive side of the ball on free agency or through trades you're going to hit the position groups that you need to be able to counter what the other teams are predominantly doing in your league if you're in a league that has a ton of talented quarterbacks like the NFC South used to have I know Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Cam was in that league at one point. Jameis Winston could throw the football around. He might throw it to your team too, but look, the guy could throw the ball. There used to be 
some really talented arms in the NFC South and then you could talk about that in some other leagues and how that has translated across the NFL but if you're in the NFC South you needed good DBs or else you were going to get torched in six games of your season at least four because the Falcons and the Saints they're gunslinging it they're throwing it around the yard and we've seen the Panthers over the years really struggle because their secondary hasn't been so so hot when your best defensive back or one of your best defensive backs ends up being Ben Wickery, like, you, you might be in trouble. You know, like after Norman left the Panthers, what happened? The defensive backfield got tremendously worse in Carolina and they struggled against some of the arms. And so I think we can translate that down to college. And I do think there is some validity to that statement. I think the defenses that you see across a league are going to reflect the offenses that are in the league which is why i think you see a lot of four two five out in the big 12 because <laughs> they need the extra defensive backs for how for how many times teams are throwing the football it's nice it's nice when we're on the same page because that's literally what i was about to say yeah. i was thinking you see the big 12 go four two five and almost exclusively pass defending you know you'll packages. see the three three five a lot in the yeah. big 12 more often than you'll see it anywhere else in college football at least among power five conferences just simply for the fact that they're throwing the ball that's that's the big 12's game throw the ball around the yard and you at least have an extra linebacker on the field in that base defense if the opposing team were to run i've talked to some people about the 335 in the past that played football and having to prepare for it in high school was an absolute nightmare but not too many high school football teams very rarely you'll run into a 335 in high school but if you did I mean that's an absolute nightmare with, with what you're going against because you're just not used to seeing it the 425 the the nickel defense also is what it's known as that is more common in, in today's day and age of college football and it's trickling into the SEC which is a big part of why Auburn ran a lot of two linebacker defensive sets oftentimes against sec schools because look at what the best sec schools over the past couple of years have been doing Auburn trotted out six defensive backs against lsu because why they were throwing the ball 40 times a game and joe burrow was the best quarterback in the country and you needed that extra defensive back to handle the four or five wide offensive looks and also with a guy like Derek brown you know in the center of that defensive line you could afford to you know kind of drop back a little bit because LSU was throwing the ball more you you're kind of still got a pass rush in that yeah, game to the kinda, point where LSU held without repentance ugh, and the SEC refs the did not game. shut it down you can you can you know kind of lax on the defensive line side when you have a guy at nose tackle like Derek Brown who can still provide you good run stopping coverage and you know to go off your point you don't see the 335 that much simply for the fact that linebackers at that level of play whether it be high school or college typically they're not covering the ball that well that's typically why you kind of shift oh, from yeah. that's why you'd rather that's why you more often see at least at high school collegiate level that four two five instead of the three three five just simply for the fact that linebackers at that level you're not typically going to have three guys who can cover that well that you feel comfortable running that defense out there a lot of times over the last five to six years, the passing games in the in the SEC have improved tremendously at the top. And by at the top, I mean Alabama. Alabama invested into getting some actual superstar quarterbacks, guys that aren't your Jacob Cokers of the world or, or Jake Cokers of the world. They are actual real Heisman quality quarterbacks. And NFL, like NFL guys, NFL potential guys. Things started changing for Alabama on the recruiting front in terms of quarterbacks. They started getting guys that are five stars across the board and guys that are actually going to go play in the league and are going to be first-round draft picks. You look at Mac Jones and Toa Tungavaloa, they could be back-to-back first-round draft picks. And I feel like, and you would agree with this, 
you're pretty confident that Mac Jones is probably going to go in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I, I would see him easily going, I'd say later in the first round, but you see it every year in the NFL draft, the way that teams get quarterback needy. They see a guy like Mac Jones even sitting there around like the 15-16 mark, and they're just, someone falls in love and gets enamored with this guy, they'll take him early. I also think this is the reason why Georgia is so far behind offensively right now because they're lacking a quarterback. That's all. They, that's what they've lacked. And I mean, LSU was like, or that. at least they've lacked quarterback development because they've recruited yes. the the position very well. They just haven't developed the QBs to be able to do what Alabama and LSU's quarterbacks have done. And I, I say LSU's one quarterbacks year, one, one yeah, year quarterback and won them a national championship, though nonetheless. And that's that's the name of the game in the SEC right now. Is if can you get a superstar quarterback and pair him with talent and just kind of try to run house and that's what we have seen the past few years you saw Alabama you saw LSU you know Florida tried to do that this year with a guy like Kyle Trask and you have him thrown to guys like Pitts and Tony who you know they're going to be NFL guys as well it just seems that that's where the NF or that's where the SEC has trended the past few years and that's where you might see certain defenses adjust over time and you might see more teams go to a 4-2-5 if this continues a trend towards a I don't want to say a Big 12 trajectory because I don't know if it's going to get there yet, but you could see that happen in the SEC because it's happening right now. You see the nickel every Saturday in the yep. SEC and across all of college football because teams are throwing the football more. To go back to the last question that was in that message from one of our listeners, once again, you can message us at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. You can call in 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. The question was, surely Auburn won't stay in the 3-4 with this many arms in the SEC, which right now, as far as arm talent is concerned in the SEC this year, I think it's lacking. We've seen a great wave of quarterbacks move on over the last two years. And right now, when Bo Nix is one of the leading returners in the SEC at the moment, in terms of passing talent, the league's in a pretty bad place at the moment as far as quarterbacks are concerned. You know, Georgia's returning JT Daniels, Auburn's returning Bo Nix. What else is returning in this league? Connor Bazelak at Missouri, and then Matt Corral at Ole Miss. Does that get you excited about this quarterback class in the SEC? Probably not. Just specifically from returning guys, I am excited about you know Young at Alabama. I do like I like what Alabama is going to bring. I think Bryce he should. Young. I think he should be developing into a good young quarterback. But again, you don't know. That's something you don't know. You're only look if you're only looking at guys who are coming back that you saw last year. You're it's not, not a sexy returning group. It could be, but as of right now, I mean, you can see Matt Corral take the next step. You can see a guy like Bo Nix take the next step, or JT Daniels. Basilek. Everybody's baby. super high up on Basilek. Aren't they always excited about the Missouri quarterback? How often does that work out? How often does it work out when we're excited about the Matt Mocks and the Drew Locks of That's the world? Fair. Well, Every, Drew Locke was solid in college. Yeah, come no, on, no and he's rings. fine in the NFL. Where the rings? I yeah, whatever. I know. <laughs> I know that's going to be your joke argument to fall back on. But he he was playing at Missouri, and he did fine. That's true. Yeah, he. You got to think he was playing at Missouri, and he he's did. not half bad in the NFL. Not he's like, not great. He's not good. He's fine. It's not like they were. He was throwing any world beaters out there at receiver in Missouri. That's at right. The, at that time, anyway. That's right. And Basilak certainly is not because the Missouri program is even more in the cellar now than where they were when Drew Locke was there. Drew Locke, you take him out of Missouri and put him at Alabama. Yeah, that, that would have been, would have been nasty. So my answer to this question, I think we're going to see Auburn in the 3-4 defense as its base because every team has a base defense. But we've talked to Robbie Weinstein, Vanderbilt 24-7. I, I reference that conversation a lot because 
He gave us some great insights on Derek Mason's defensive scheme from having covered him for all those years at Vanderbilt. And Derek Mason, towards the end of his time at Vanderbilt, was trending more towards a hybrid defense to where he could move in and out of three or four-man fronts. And I think we'll see that with this Auburn defense because he can. Auburn has the personnel to move in and out of three- and four-man fronts. It could be a situation where you have traditionally three linemen that have their hand in the ground and a fourth, quote, defensive lineman that is stand-up edge rusher. And you could see that and then maybe just have three linebackers at the next level that are your that look like traditional linebackers and, and to the naked eye that looks like a 4-3 defense. But in the NFL, that, that's really more similar to a 3-4, at least how base 3-4 defenses are built out at that level. It's just tiny little differences between the two games. But I, I think you see Auburn on defense. So this is an important question because I'm going to take this a step further from, from the message we received from one of our listeners. Is Auburn ready for the 3-4 scheme on defense right now, or is it in their best interest right now to be a hybrid defense or possibly even stay in what they've done under Kevin Steele? I think they have the depth at the linebacker and defensive line positions. Whether that's good depth or not, they at least have a lot of def- – we talked about yesterday the log jam that's coming in for the defensive line. You've also got a lot of linebacker help. You know, T.D. Moultrie probably moving back to that linebacking spot with Joko Willis coming in. You got Owen Papo and guys like that, Chandler Wooten coming back. Don't forget about Zacoby McLean. And Zacoby McLean. I mean, I'm just trying to run through everybody Don't as fast as I can. Don't forget about the Z linebacker. Trying to go through everybody in my head. And then you have guys like Lee Hunter coming in on the line, you know, Truesdale coming back. There's a lot of depth at those positions. So I think from a depth perspective, you can yes. do what you want. Yeah, I think they could. Are they ready in terms of ability and scheme? That's yet to be seen. I'll feel more comfortable answering that after I see what A-Day has to offer for us. A-Day's going to tell us a lot about how this Auburn team's going to line up. And, and I know We could kind of, be way wrong and them not line up in the 3-4 at all. This yeah. coaching staff have made the decision to say, hey, we're going to stay in the 4-3 because that's the personnel that we've had. But some of the roster decisions that they've made makes you think because yes. of Nick Eason coming and specifically mentioning in that press release we go way back to when he was announced as the Little head coach crumbs. or not that not as the head coach but as the defensive line coach they they announced that you know he was a part of that transition on the Tennessee Titans defensive line from the 4-3 to the 3-4 and you don't they pointed that out you don't throw that in there yeah like you don't. I don't think you mean you both agree you don't throw that in there but it may not be as drastic of a shift all the way into the 3-4 as maybe it's being billed in some in some places about Auburn's shift on defense you just don't know until they line up a day is going to be so fun this year as as I'm sure it probably is most years there's a coaching change I don't know. I take that back. This year's A-Day is probably going to be the most fun A-Day that you've gotten after a coaching change because most of the time on other coaching changes, they have ended on bad terms. I think Auburn moving on from Gus Malzahn has ended on much better terms than Auburn has ever fired a coach in the past. Because it's not like they weren't in the cellar. They weren't, you know, three and. It's not nah. like they went three and nine, five yeah. and seven. It's not like they're on probation either. Like there have been some really bad firings in the fact in the past because they just the it didn't work out and things went really south in, in a negative south, direction. Really, it, they went really south really quickly. Auburn Auburn fired Gus Malzahn because he didn't win enough games, not because he lost too many games, but because he didn't win enough. Yeah, you were firing a guy for eight and four, not three and nine. Let's remember that. So the Auburn, you know, there is talent on this roster, and it's also more of a, at least what people are expecting, more of a drastic shift, at least in terms of defense, some offensive schemes that you're seeing. There's a lot to see. And I think that we're right. I think that Auburn is going to transition to that 3-4 and probably run a bit of a hybrid, 
type of three, in four, and out. just kind of in and out, kind of going with whatever they feel more comfortable in and just kind of fitting guys in. It's going to, things going to adjust over time. That should time. get you excited though. Cause because that's good. That's, that's versatility. That means right. that they can go with everybody and they can do whatever defense they want to do depending on their matchup and who they need to have out there at the time. So the answer to all of those questions is wait till A day. Yeah, and it kind of depends. It kind of depends, but you're going to know for sure after a day, or maybe not know for for certain, but you're going to know you're going to know probably ninety percent sure what this Auburn defense is going to look like schematically moving forward, just based on how they line up and obviously depth chart and there and that'll change over time because maybe they see stuff over spring, maybe they they see stuff in fall camp that they like, things that they don't like. This thing's still taking shape, and then during the season, thing it, it'll take shape as well. So. The answer to that question, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. They're going to have their base defense that they fall on, their specific style of teaching that they fall on, but they're also going to try and match up with what the SEC offers. And I think that's pretty true across all. I think that's pretty true across all of college football or any level of football based on typically what you're going to see on any given Saturday. You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports app. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got everything you need once again that's radioalabamasports.net and the radio alabama sports app we just had a great conversation about it was just a good football conversation x's and o's and that's good for the soul my man oh yeah it felt good, it's we, good for me, the soul the second we went to break and we both took the headsets off we looked at each other and said that was good that was, was good that was, that was good, good in-depth somehow nerd. the 335 made it into conversation Look, we'll, that's not an area code that's a defense look you come here we're always going to want to talk nerd like i don't want to say nerd but like the in-depths the the in-depths and the numbers and why the schemes are this way that's that's stuff me and you just like eat sleep and breathe like, we love that we live for talking about that and i got full-on coaching manuals at home like afca coaching manuals with like articles written by people <laughs> like joe paterno that's that's the kind of stuff i read late at night so Keep it going on the show, though. If you missed any of the, that conversation, it, it's worth checking out, talking about Auburn's defense and what it's going to look like this upcoming year schematically versus what the SEC typically likes to do and, and how do you weigh that based on what other teams are doing when you're selecting your scheme on defense. Some interesting things to talk about there, to ponder moving forward for Auburn football, and really the answer is you won't know until A-Day, but you can go and check that out on the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can also get that podcast on the Radio Alabama Sports app. The show always goes up on RadioAlabamaSports.net, so if you ever miss it, you can go and find it there among all the other great content we've got. Now moving forward in the show, we got Auburn basketball conversation here. We, we, are, we are just desperately holding on to this season, not letting it go. Had a great meme sent to us yesterday from friend and fan of the program, Stephen Kerr, sent a meme to us yesterday of SpongeBob with like Auburn men's basketball's logo plastered over it, and then... SpongeBob said, "What do you what do you do when I'm gone?" And Patrick says, "I wait for you to come back." And that's kind of me right now. But I've also got Auburn baseball and then Auburn football, of course, for us all to look forward to. If you ever want to tweet at us, find Levi on Twitter at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater. But desperately holding on to some basketball here. This is really our last Auburn basketball conversation. I think that we'll have for quite some time. 
Outside. This is the last topic that I want to scratch across with you. Outside of once NBA draft time rolls around and we start That's talking right. and we start talking about, you know, the Shreve Cooper stuff. If he well, decides to go we don't and know all if that. He's going. Yeah, if he decides to go and then if not if he decides not to go, we'll have some conversation about that. But this is the last like real I'm Auburn closing the team. book here. Yeah, this is us closing closing the book on this season and then going into next season where we'll start picking up a little bit of the next season and the offseason stuff and then next thing you know. It'll be next year, and we'll be talking about it again. Alan Flanagan took a huge jump this year in scoring. I mean, like 12 points or something like that for Alan Flanagan from last year to this year. Ended up being, honestly, I think you you would say that he was the leader of this basketball team from start to finish because Sharif Cooper didn't play the entire year. So I think you would say that because when Sharif Cooper was hurt, who who shouldered the load for this team? Alan Flanagan. When Sharif Cooper wasn't here, he was he was the guy. If you take Sharif Cooper off this roster, he's the leading scorer. He had 14.3 points per game. How often do you see a guy go from two points a game or two to four points a game all the way up to 14 points a game the next year and be the leading offensive weapon for two-thirds of the season while the best player isn't playing, right? So Alan Flanagan had a huge jump. My question to you is, which Auburn basketball player do you expect next season to make an Alan Flanagan-like jump? I don't know if anybody's going to make a jump like that simply for the fact that We'll put it this way. If Sharif Cooper comes back, and then you got Jabari Smith coming in, I don't know if there's going to be enough. There's not enough points to go around. Yeah, I don't know if there's going to be enough points to go around. But if this did happen, and I I think that this guy has, I think this guy has potential. This guy looks like an NBA player, and I think JT Thor could take a next step, develops more consistent outside scoring. We have seen him with that ability. That's a Chuma Okiki-like jump for me. You think so? I think so because JT Thor hasn't quite looked comfortable yet in his in his basketball role, just like Tumo Kiki didn't in his first year at Auburn. But then he woke up the next season, kind of midway through, and realized, oh, I have an NBA body. Oh, other guys around me can't handle me. And they he started being more and more aggressive in terms of scoring the basketball and taking more shots, I think we see that type of jump from JT Thor next year, and it does get him drafted in the first round next season. I mean, he looks like a first-round draft pick. He looks if like he, Kevin Durant. Yeah, man. he looks like a first-round draft pick. That body, he's slim. He fits He fits what the NBA wants, more of a stretch big man that can do everything. We've seen his ability to hit shots outside. If he could get more consistent with that while also being aggressive down low and implementing you know, maybe a little, not really want to say – a running float or anything, but a little bit more polished post moves with some turnaways, some fadeaways, and being able to actually go up and take contested post shots along with some sort of range. Man, I think JT Thor is going to be a first round pick, and I don't even think it's close. Like, I think if this guy puts it together this year and feels a little bit more comfortable in his body, you're going to see him in the first round. It's not, it's, I mean, look at him. Just look at him. He looks like an NBA guy. Just got to put it together. So Auburn's going to have three primary Fords in their system next year I feel like I think this team's going to get back to trying to do what they were doing in the past especially if Sharif Cooper comes back which has run the floor Auburn towards the end of this season got slowed down a lot at oftentimes this year when Sharif Cooper was not on the team Auburn was a lot slower of a basketball club than what we traditionally are accustomed to seeing with Bruce Pearl like teams I think Dylan Cardwell amongst the group of bigs of JT Thor, which I really don't like calling JT Thor a big because he doesn't play like that. He stretches the floor. He's more of a face-up. I don't even know if I'd say he's a face-up. He's just a true stretch four. I really don't like calling him a big because he doesn't play like that. 
and then there's Jabari Smith, who I think plays a little bit more like JT Thor than even Dylan Cardwell, but he's obviously a much more robust player. As Lance would say, he's a much more round player than JT Thor maybe is because he is the top five overall draft pick next season, more than likely in next year's NBA draft. But I think Dylan Cardwell, in terms of playing the center position traditionally, takes a huge step. It may not show up statistically like a 10-point jump, but it you could see if you see Dylan Cardwell this year averaging 3.3 points per game or 3.8 points per game, excuse me, and you see a jump to him maybe scoring eight a game next year, that's a tremendous jump on the offensive end of the floor for his style of play. Maybe he adds a three-point shot to his game. I don't know. Bruce Pearl has mentioned in the past that he can what shoot. Do you, what do you mean add the three-point shot? We well, already saw that's it on fair. full display this past weekend. I think Dylan Cardwell, right now, you got to keep in mind that he is a year removed from having played basketball coming into this season because I, I think he was dealing with some injury in his last year of high school. So he's coming into this year not having had a full last season of high school basketball, trying to acclimate himself to the game of college basketball. Now he's going to have a full offseason. This dude came into college basketball with a man's body. Like, there was no baby weight on Dylan Cardwell. Now let's see what he looks like when his mental game shaves off the baby weight, right? That's exactly what I was about to say. I was about to say if he could, he needs to have a little bit more just aggressive, like just more aggression and tenacity when he's playing because it feels like at times that he's got to look more comfortable. He feels like he's just big for no reason at times, at least in terms of his body, because he wasn't quite. As you said, he still had the the baby weight mentally. He wasn't fully sit there and go, oh, I am I could body every single person out here. There's an Anthony McLemore like upside. Maybe not with the three point shooting. I'm still kind of reserved on saying that he could become as consistent of a three point shooter as Anthony McLemore was because I don't know if there is an Anthony McLemore player on this no. team right now that that can do all the things that he did. But if you're talking about a super smart player that understands positioning it can be a really talented shot blocker in this league and can score down low for you maybe off the pick and roll I think Dylan Cardwell fits that bill and I think we see him take a tremendous step forward because he he's he's a sponge I think he's soaking up the game and I think we saw him improve tremendously across the year I'm expecting a huge jump from this uh, from this dude as he as he adds more to his game in terms of basketball IQ. Also expect more rebounds out of him. He's a big yeah. guy. Once he figures out how to use that body and throw it around, rebounds are going to go up, up, up. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. We'll be talking with Aaron Fitt of T1Baseball.com. You don't want to miss that conversation. We're talking Auburn baseball on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. And making a return appearance here on the show today, we got Aaron Fitt of D1Baseball.com. Aaron, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. You know, we're a month into the college baseball season, and I bet you're having a field day out there. Yeah, it is just really good to be back at baseball parks watching real baseball games. Uh, you know, after what happened last year, uh, I'll never take it for granted again. Let me tell you that. This has been, it's been fun so far. Well, let's start it off talking some Auburn baseball here. And, and I'm kind of curious because I'm sure you know, uh, just like a lot of people in the Southeast know about what happened on Sunday for Auburn baseball because it's kind of it, became a, a laughingstock moment around the area. Just kind of people saying, well, that's just Auburn being Auburn. Auburn blowing a 9-1 lead 
in the ninth inning with two outs against Boston College and looking at you guys and y'all's predictions on D1Baseball.com, you had this as a, as a pretty split series, but going into that ninth inning, Auburn was looking pretty good. First of all, have you seen anything like that before in baseball? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think over the course of, you know, <laughs> decades watching baseball, you're, you're going to see some weird stuff like that happen. But uh, off the top of my head, I cannot think of anything crazier than um, leading by eight runs with two outs in the ninth inning and, and, and you know, and losing the game. I mean, it, it happens. You know, we've seen it happen before. But, boy, oh, boy, that was, uh, that was wild. And, again, you know, BC is a really good offensive club. They're a top 25 team for a reason. I mean, it's, uh, it's an explosive offense. You know, you've got two first-round picks in that lineup with Sal Freilich and, and Cody Morris. I mean, they could score runs in a hurry. Um, but, you know, all that said, it's an eight-run lead with two outs in the ninth. Uh, it's one of those things that I, I think you kind of chalk it up as, as you know, that's baseball um, and, and don't read too much into it. I mean, certainly – you know, Auburn needs to figure out the bullpen. Um, you know, if you've got Mason Barnett in a starting role, which I think does make sense, then, you know, you've, you've got to find some other option at the back end. And, um, you know, I like some of the arms they ran out there, and, and they just didn't have success in this particular uh, inning. So, um, you know, I, I believe in Butch Thompson. He, he'll figure it out. You know, they do have a lot of different pieces there. And, um, you know, I like the depth that they have. They still have Carson Skipper and Burke Halter and, you know, some, some guys that they can, uh, they can throw at you that they get different looks on the right and left side. And, and I think better days are ahead for that pitching staff. So I'm definitely not in panic mode. You know, I mean, if Auburn manages to win that game, that they led by eight runs, then all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good about this team, right? I mean, right. They, they just won a series against the top 25 team. So uh, it just seems like one of those freakish fluke things that happen sometimes in baseball. And that's what I've been telling folks, the silver lining in the series. You know, you, there are two games this year that Auburn has blown leads in. They, they blew it on the Friday night or the Friday afternoon in the Round Rock Classic against Oklahoma and then blowing the Sunday game against Boston College. If you switch both of those to wins, Auburn's a two-loss team right now, and their only losses are to, to decent baseball clubs, Baylor and then one game in the Boston College series. So what is your perception of the Auburn team right now? Is it a, a lot better maybe than what the average perception is, or, or uh, where's this team at right now in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I, I still like their team. I mean, you know, I liked them in the fall, and I, and I like them now. I mean, there's some things that um, I'd like to see, you know. I mean, I, I really was high on Richard Fitz heading into the year, and I thought he was going to be an All-American and, you know, a first-round top-10 kind of pick. And so far, he hasn't, he hasn't, you know, looked like I thought he would. Um, and they really need him to be a dude on Friday nights, and, and that's, that's really a crucial thing for this ball club. And so that's something I've got my eye on, you know. I still believe in him because yeah, I, I, you look at the guy and he's he, he built like a, a workhorse starter. It's a good, repeatable delivery. Um, it's, a, it's a live fastball that, that jumps, and, you know, he's got enough feel for the, the slider and the changeup. It's just um, he's got to put it all together. Now, now's the time, and, and Auburn needs that to happen. So I think, you know, obviously that piece and the bullpen piece, you kind of got to get figured out. But I mean, it's a veteran lineup that has, um, you know, no easy outs and um, it has athleticism, it has power, um, it's versatile. I, I just, you know, I think, I think they're going to defend. I mean, I really I do like this team all the way around. There's just a couple of things that they need to, uh, to click into place, and, and, I, and I still feel like they're, you know, they will be a top 25 team at various times this season. But in the SEC, it's just going to be so rugged that teams will be in and out, and uh, I feel like Auburn probably falls into that mix. And it certainly doesn't help that the three guys they went into – 
weekend series with uh, what what they believe to be their starting rotation going into the year. They're they're all three dealing with injuries at the moment. Auburn hasn't even seen Jack Owen out there. Green Hill missed this past weekend after getting hurt in the Round Rock Classic, and then Richard Fitz isn't looking too great at the moment. So you got three guys that are dealing with injuries, and then you know Carson Skipper, one of their bullpen guys. I mean the the injuries go deeper and deeper for this Auburn baseball team. But I ask you, I, the, my next question is con- connected to the injuries. You know, how quickly can you see a season get away from you because of injuries, or are you never too far gone in, in college baseball when you're talking about trying to make the NCAA tournament? Well, injuries, you know, if they pile up on you now, you can find yourself behind the eight ball. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, I, I do like the, you know, the makeup of this club. I mean, just think back to that 2019 team. Um, everybody pretty much left them for dead, you know, and I, we, we did. And, and you look up and, and they kind of rallied together and, um, you know, and they make that run to Omaha. So I just think you've got that kind of veteran presence and um, the, the character of the players, especially those older guys on this team, the leadership, I think they'll, they'll find a way to grind through it. And, you know, that stuff, that stuff does matter. I mean, it's, you can't quantify it, uh, but, but toughness and resilience and all these buzzwords, um, they're real. And, and, and I do think this team has those qualities. And so uh, as long as, you know, they're not totally decimated by injuries, as long as some of these, these key guys that you mentioned can get back soon, then, then I think they'll be fine. Switching gears to the other side of the state, Alabama baseball right now, they're only one loss. And uh, they're looking pretty good right now. What are you seeing out of that Crimson Tide squad as they're going into their last weekend series of non-conference play? Yeah, it's a pretty nice resume. I mean, there's no marquee series wins or, or single game wins there, but you know, you got a nice road series win at Count Charleston, Wright State. Those are both teams that we, we kind of thought would be pretty competitive this year. McNeese always competitive. Um, right now, I think the key thing for Alabama is getting Connor Prelip back. And it sounds like whatever he's dealing with is, is not, you know, a major area of concern for the Tide. They, they haven't, they've been a little cagey about what exactly is going on there, but, um, you know, assuming he's back soon, then, then I think they're really dangerous because, you know, I think he's one of the best pitchers in the country. Uh, preseason first team All-American for us. And, and uh, you know, so you got that guy on Friday nights. It just makes everything kind of fall into place behind you on the pitching staff. And, uh, but I thought it was encouraging to see the way Tyler Ross pitched in his place this past weekend. And uh, I knew they were very high on, on Grayson Hit, the true freshman. He's been good in the bullpen. Jacob McNary has been good. Um, you know, I, I was worried heading into the season if they had enough arms. You know, I kind of like their top five or six arms, and then there were some question marks for me. But so far from what I've seen from afar, what I've heard talking with scouts who've seen these guys is that, you know what, they, they're probably in pretty good shape back there. I mean, you got Chase Lee, you got Brock Guffey, you, you got enough guys that you can kind of piece it together. And, um, you know, I don't think it's the deepest staff in, in the SEC, but I do think it's probably deep enough to be, you know, to, to give them staying power and make a run in this conference because their lineup is good. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, again, it's a team that has some speed. You have some pop in there, you know, with, with, with um, Owen Diodotti and, and you know, Sam Prater. And uh, I really like Peyton Wilson. I think he's a dynamic talent up the middle, whether you play him in second base or, or center field. Uh, switch hitter who can really run and has great feel for the barrel. He's, he's a fun player. So uh, it's just, a, I think it's a well-assembled club. Um, we needed to see them improve it a little bit heading into the year because they just don't have a track record right now. Of th- these players haven't, haven't had success in the SEC, um, and, and they still haven't. They haven't gotten to play an SEC game yet uh, in the last two years. So uh, we still need to see that. But right now it looks like they're positioned to be pretty competitive. In the SEC West and locally, 
people are looking at these three teams because when you talk about the SEC West hierarchy, of course you got Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and LSU. Those are your those are your great teams. But after that, you've got Texas A&M, Auburn, and Alabama all fighting amongst themselves for that five, six, seven spots. Which of those three teams do you like the most right now? I think if, if Auburn is healthy, then I still go with those guys, you know, based on the track record and, um, and the depth of the roster. But, you know, again, the fact that they have actually done it, they've actually been to Omaha, you know, the last time right. we had an Omaha, and a lot of guys are back from that club. And, um, you know, if Richard Fitz is, is healthy and as good as I, I think he can be, you know, if you've got Jack Owen and Cody Greenhill and, you know, those, those, those veteran pieces in the mound that you were counting on, then, then I still think Auburn probably is, is the answer. But um, it could wind up being Alabama. I mean, again, that was kind of the X-factor team. I, I think for me, A&M would be the third of those three teams. I, I kind of, you know, heading into the year, I had them kind of neck and neck with Alabama. But what I've seen so far, I'm, I'm a little concerned about A&M, and, and I'm optimistic about the Tide. I just think that, um, you know, they, they were an exciting club. We just wanted to see him do it. And, and, again, we still need to see it, but they've got a chance to, to kind of sneak up the, the list here. I mean, they could wind up being, you know, a middle-of-the-pack, sixth, seventh kind of team in the SEC. It's going to be such a battle, you know, because there's so many good teams in the league. And I agree with you about that top tier. It does feel like there's some separation after the, the Arkansas Miss Mississippi State group. You know, you can put LSU in that group if you want, but um, everybody's good, and it's going to be a dogfight. Who's the best team in the SEC then in your eyes? <laughs> yeah, that's tough. I mean, if you look at our <laughs> top 25 rankings right now, the top five teams are all SEC teams. Yeah. It, it's, you know, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and, and Florida, you know, and, and I think those are the five best teams um, in the country, you know, and, and you put UCLA in that mix for me. I still think UCLA, after a little bit of a slow start, they're figuring it out, and, and I like them as an elite club. But after that, I think there's a drop-off. I mean, the ACC, I think, is very deep but doesn't have an elite national title contender right now for me. Um, you know, if you look at the Big 12, maybe, maybe Texas Tech will be uh, as the season progresses. But, you know, they went 0-3 against the SEC West that first weekend. So, clearly, it feels like they're a tick behind that group. Um, so, you know, out of those, those top five SEC teams, I don't know. I mean, it's just so early. Um, I, I kind of go round and round when I try to break this down to see who's the best team. Ultimately, I still feel like Florida could wind up being that team uh, because I think, I think they've got the best lineup in, in the country. I really think they're going to be an explosive offensive club. And, you know, it's just as, as they figure out the pitching, and it's one of those things like we, we trust in Butch Thompson, I trust in Kevin O'Sullivan. He's got enough really good arms, and he knows how to put a staff together. He's going to get that staff figured out, and, and we're starting to see it click here as we, we get closer to SEC play. So what you're saying is it's the SEC's world and we're all just living in it. Am I right? Yeah, it's nuts. And, and you know, there are other good leagues. I mean, the ACC, like I said, they're really deep this year. And you've got 14 teams that I think are all good. The bottom of the ACC, probably better than the bottom of the SEC, the first time I can remember. But there's just nobody that has the kind of premium arms that the SEC has. That's what separates this league from everybody else is just, you know, up and down the league, but especially at the top, the kind of, power arms that they can throw at you it just blows everybody else away speaking with aaron fit of d1baseball.com today aaron tell everybody where they can find you and about all of the awesome content you guys are putting out at d1baseball.com yeah that's we've got everything you need to, to follow college baseball season all year long we've got the best scoreboard uh you can find for college baseball we've got all kinds of content from sites across the country um you know podcasts uh, analysis chat um all that stuff is at D1Baseball.com. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron Fit. 
And, of course, follow us on Twitter at D1Baseball. Aaron, I appreciate it, my man. Hope you have a good day. Yeah, you got it, man. My pleasure. Wrap it up, hour number one of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you to Aaron Fitt of D1Baseball.com for joining us on the show in the previous segment. If you missed any of that conversation, want to go back and listen to the highlights of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. A lot of great insights there about Auburn baseball, what they've got going on right now and trying to bounce back from what happened this past weekend against Boston College tonight they'll be taking on UAB but before we get into that conversation right here let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight hey everybody it's Noah Gardner with what's on tonight a new episode of the voices on NBC starting at eight it's part four of the blind auditions if you're not first you're last Talladega Nights the ballad of Ricky Bobby is on IFC at seven global warming triggers a new ice age the day after tomorrow is on Paramount at six Get lost in a virtual world with Ready Player One on TNT at 7. Intergalactic robots take their war to Earth. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is on Sci-Fi at 6.30. Conference tournaments and college basketball continue with the power conferences getting into the mix at 6 on ACC Network. Wake Forest and Notre Dame wrap up the first round of the ACC tournament. On ESPN2, Mount St. Mary's and Bryant clash in the Northeast Conference Championship. Over on ESPN, Oakland and Cleveland State play in the Horizon League title game. Moving to 8 p.m., Oral Roberts versus versus North Dakota State and the Summit League Championship on ESPN2. Number one, Gonzaga looks to win the WCC on ESPN. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. We've got about six minutes left here in hour number one, and then we'll have hour number two coming up for you in about 10 minutes, so stay with us here on On the Line. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis News, and more. There's seven hours of local sports talk on ESPN 106.7. Once again, that's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Auburn baseball in a matchup against the UAB Blazers tonight in Birmingham. That game coming up tonight at 6 p.m. Question to you here, Levi. We asked a lot of times about Auburn basketball. Where's their heads at going into a game or a weekend? Where is Auburn baseball's head at going into tonight's game against UAB I've talked to a few people thinking that this could be a lingering loss for Auburn because of what happened on Sunday against Boston College I'm not buying it I don't think that happens but I would not be shocked if it did it makes a lot of sense it's like your it's your typical lingering loss trap game type of deal you got you you had that game won on Sunday you blow a just you know monstrous lead and just a catastrophic choke that happened in that ninth inning, and then you got to go on the road to Birmingham and play a team you, that wants you. Yeah, a team that wants to play because you. It's no secret, Alabama and Auburn, they're the top dogs in the state in terms of the sports and how the everything is perceived. A lot of these guys who play at UB, UAB, they probably wanted to play at Auburn or Alabama and probably weren't recruited as heavy as some of the guys who. You know, ended up at Auburn, Alabama. They want to show. It's like it's a lot of times when you see the Sun Belt teams play the SEC teams, and they give them a run for their money because a lot of those guys were overlooked by the SEC teams, and that's probably what you're going to see here. I think Auburn's talent should shine through and carry them over this UAB team. I think the bats will be what carries them I, through. I agree with that. I think the bats are going to carry. I think they're going to do 
do a very good job. There's only one common opponent, if I'm not mistaken, Alabama A&M. UAB played a series against them. They also beat Alabama A&M. 22-2 to two in one of those games. So there's <gasps> there's something wrong with that Alabama A&M pitching staff. They don't have the guys that can throw it. Let's just, let's just be I honest. I actually didn't know that factoid. Everybody has been hitting <gasps> the Alabama A&M Bulldogs pitching roster. The other two games, nine, they won 9-2 to two and won 7-3. to three, So they swept Alabama <gasps> A&M in that series. So the only common there's opponent. no pitching fortitude on that team. Yeah, the Alabama A&M pitching staff is, yeah, they're uh, – they got they got to work. They got some more to do. I think Auburn. Despite comes in. that sweep, though, they entered this week six and four overall after losing a series to Kennesaw State, two out of three games. Yep, and they had an out. Doesn't had, necessarily jump off the page for me here. No, I mean I don't. I there's there's nothing that's really stuck out for UAB in terms of what I'm looking at. I mean their bats, if I'm looking at correctly, they're they're hitting 261 as a team. They're allowing opponents 190. Um, they're pitching. Which again, you can but look at. But opponents are batting one ninety against them. Yeah, that's what it says. It's pretty solid. It's pretty yeah, solid. That's not bad. But you also got to take into account some of the some of the teams that they have played. I'm sure a three game series against Alabama A and M helps when you hold them to about you know one to two runs per. And then, well, they're putting one of their best ERAs on the hill tonight against Auburn. Senior left-handed pitcher Austin Bohannon with a one point five nine ERA. He's zero and zero, but those are pretty good numbers and left-handed pitcher jumps off the page because a lot of batters have a hard time with lefties yep that's i mean that's fair that's fair also i mean you look at the teams they're giving up uh opponents era has been about 536 they've been able to hit people but again it's a lot like, played anybody good it's a lot well it's a lot like auburn's auburn's you know auburn's played good teams would they have but i'm saying they had that, boston college on the ropes oh yeah but i'm gonna say that there's their stats were skewed going into say like this weekend in the round rock classic because they basically you had, had boston college knocked out oh no i agree with they that had them buried. i'm not i don't i'm not saying that it's the same with auburn in terms of they played anybody i'm saying that their stats are a little skewed simply for the fact that alabama a&m game skewed a lot of stats for auburn you know going into yeah. the round rock classic and i think that's a lot with uab i mean their opponents era is about 536 i think you look at that most of those runs came from that Alabama A&M game, and it's kind of sure. made UAB's stats in terms of what their opponent ERA looks like significantly better because they haven't been imp- that impressive offensively outside of that series. I'm not buying the narrative that this Auburn team's going to lose this game because of Sunday. Butch Thompson knows how to coach, and I think he's going to know how to get the best out of his players to pick up the pieces and move on, which were the words that he used after Sunday's loss and I think it's pretty accurate this team does have to pick up the pieces and move on but I just hope that they're seeing the silver linings which obviously they're going to be a whole lot more critical of themselves than we are and that other people are and the reasoning for that is because they're competitors and they want to get better but there are silver linings from this weekend Auburn got beat by a bunch of zombie eagles all right like they were dead they were it was over Auburn had that series won. In my mind, I, I think Auburn played so much better this weekend than, A, I thought they were when I was going into it because I was pretty down on Auburn going into the weekend. But they played better than I thought that they would have. And two, I know that they lost the series, but it's still internally for me, it feels like they won. I mean, yeah, you had them, you had them on the ropes. It you also, played better for two-thirds of the weekend. It also helps you don't have a big opponent this weekend to kind of overlook this game. You know, you should win your next four games if you're Auburn. You should win your next five. There's five left, yeah, I five. believe. That's yeah. what I meant, five. Now, can't Until count. Ole Miss. Hour number two coming up of On the Line. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama.
You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Had a great hour, number one. If you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Starting off hour number two with a football discussion. We had a great one to open up the show. Once again, if you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. But now we're going to switch it over to the offensive side of the ball. And we're going to be continuing our A-Day depth chart series later this week. Actually, tomorrow is when I've got it planned for. And this week's is going to be on receivers. So kind of to preview our conversation tomorrow and our analysis of the Auburn depth chart going into A-Day in terms of the wide receiver room, how do you expect... Auburn's receivers to be used this season is it going to change from and I'll say it the atrocities that we've seen schematically on Auburn's offensive side of the ball over the last couple years I think so I think you're going to see a lot more pro style route running I think you're going to see a a better scheme at least in terms of getting some of these receivers in better positions that was one thing that the Gus Malzahn regime did incredibly poorly in my opinion was developing the route tree that you're expected to know at the next level of football he just that just wasn't a part of the scheme and then with that you weren't setting up guys in a lot of good positions that I think could have made them succeed very well when Anthony Schwartz is only out there to run a go route most of the time you're not helping him out because everybody knows it's coming you want to see him develop an out route to a very good degree or maybe a curl route or even some shallow crossing drag routes where you can get him with the ball and he just can turn the corner on the edge and outrun everybody else. You didn't. You never really saw a lot of scheme to get receivers open from their, per, their route running. You did see a couple schemes to try to finesse guys around, but I want to see more professional route runnings, your ins, your outs, your deep posts. I want to see more of that instead of just kind of a more standard – base vanilla receiving route running that we saw from the Gus Malzahn regime let's amend the question then a little bit let me change this what do you think the room will be best at then this season that's tough because I don't know anything about most of these receivers that's the issue like, I haven't I don't, seen them enough I haven't seen enough of these guys I mean Shedrick Jackson he played a good bit but what did he do he came out and blocked almost every time if I'm not mistaken he had what like eight catches like not not a lot in his Auburn career it's very very shallow I think some of these guys are incredibly talented. A guy like Kobe Hudson's talented. We saw Elijah Canyon look good in a very, very small sample size. Does that translate? We don't know. It's, I hate to cop out and say that we're going to learn what these receivers do at A-Day because I, I really hate to see that. I hate to say it, but that's kind of where we're at because there are so many guys that... Everybody left. You know these guys are talented and you know these guys can play. It's just 
what are they going to do? Or at least you assume that they can play based off of some of the recruiting track records and some of the small sample sizes that you have seen. Again, a guy like Elijah Canyon, you saw him play really well, but that was a one-game sample size against Northwestern. And I assume Northwestern had no film on this guy, so they didn't know how to defend him or what he was going to do for him. I don't know if I see any guys on this on this receiver depth chart that's just going to absolutely consistently blow the top off of a defense. I don't know if I see that yet with this group. I see a lot of possession receivers that can really thrive 10, 15 yards down the field and below. So I, you know, 15 yards the highest mark and then move it down and they're going to dominate in between the hashes in the middle of the field. And I know I'm speaking you know, wonderful things to Auburn, Auburn people's ears when I say that because people want to hear that. And maybe that's wishful thinking too. We're going to see that on A-Day. Hopefully, maybe that'll be, you know, hopefully we see a switch from what we have in the past where it seems like Auburn's offense has, at least in terms of the passing game, has either operated 20 yards and beyond downfield, really just go routes, or they've operated outside the hashes. And that does not make a quarterback's job easy on them. It doesn't simplify things for your quarterback, which is what you want to do. Obviously, you want to be able to throw the ball downfield and you want to be able to connect on the deep shot. But if your offense is built around that, you don't have the offensive line to protect for that nor the receivers to to blow the top off of it consistently. Why would you do that? And Auburn, for some reason, never really adjusted from that. And then I don't think Auburn's had the top-level arm talent yet either to consistently be able to make some of the difficult throws that Gus Malzahn asked Bo Nix to make. I think he's got the potential to one day. I think we've seen the arm strength from him, but he just hasn't had the accuracy to be able to hit that back shoulder throw or that outside-the-hash throw or be able to do it consistently when he's having to do it on the run because there's always those times where you see Auburn roll him out in the red zone. I hate this play call. There were two play calls I hated the most that Auburn would run and one of them at least was run to somewhat to, to somewhat an efficacy because Seth Williams could at least catch the uh the fade route into the end zone but I still hate that one I think that is such a low I, I hate that with any play like that's not just team. an Auburn that's not an Auburn thing the goal it's ban, just such a low percentage pass play in the ban, end zone ban the goal line fade you have to have so a, low percentage. you have to have a guy like Jimmy Graham in his prime Rob Gronkowski in their prime against a small cornerback to make that work or like a Chad Johnson type on a one-on-one you're it's and even then so low percentage. and even then it's low percentage. I mean, you just don't you're rarely going to have a guy that you trust in that situation. Auburn definitely hasn't had that guy. That that play I, I hate. Yeah, that. it was Seth Williams. Yeah. Outside like, of that, no. But Seth I mean Seth Williams, even then, like as great as he is, that's still that's still a difficult low percentage play yeah. that you're running, even with a guy who's as good as Seth Williams. Well, was. maybe he had like three touchdowns doing that this year, but imagine how many times they threw it to him. And that's probably the high end of efficiency that you would get with a receiver running that play. Oftentimes, it doesn't work that much. I also feel like that boot out play. A lot of people exactly. run. That's the other play I hate. A lot of people run that, and I don't feel like I ever see that work. I'm, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm just watching teams that don't run it efficiently. But I feel like anytime I'm watching a goal-to-go situation with any football team, whether it be college or the NFL, I don't see them make that throw. Or I don't see it. The field it, condenses yeah, when you get shit, inside the 15-yard line. And then the entire – so the field's already condensed, so then you're condensing it even more right. by limiting yourself to this you know, 10-yard window. It's absurd. I don't know why Auburn insisted on doing that. It just, it's a it, horrible play. It never, it's a horrible play. It never makes sense. If you want to run a boot out like that, you 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 really want to be under center or even from the shotgun running a play action boot out to try to shift the defense 
initially to the left or to the right, whichever way you're faking it, and then having your H-back slip out into the flats, that's the only time that play really works incredibly well unless you got a guy who can just run a perfect out route in the end zone with a perfect throw from the quarterback. We weren't seeing that. That was not going to happen with Bo Nix and Seth Williams at that point in time. So now we've established the case that Auburn, in terms of their passing game, used Bo Nix incredibly, and the receivers, incredibly the wrong way. Just yeah, I agree. The wrong way entirely. And it's it's a shame because Bo Nix can make that high-level out, out throw that you talked about. I think he's got about. the arm strength. He's got the potential to make it. lacking the accuracy, but yeah, we'll he, see. He has that potential to make that. And I mean, that's, that's the difference in, is Bo Nix going to be a good quarterback at Auburn or is or he a great one or a great one and have a level have a career at the next level that's those kind of throws 100%. where you can throw an out route with anticipation and accuracy that's something that if Bo Nix develops you better watch out it doesn't matter who's playing receiver if they can get any kind of separation and Bo Nix can make a throw like that you got to watch out for that kid if he can if he can put that together I'm not saying he will I'm just saying if he does this offense is dramatically changed so I think Auburn's offense moves from outside the hashes to inside, inside. the hashes inside the hashes which is is really the skill set that I think these receivers particularly possess I think you got a lot of possession guys none of them just jump off jump off the page to me as like a guy who's going to consistently blow the top off of a defense like the way Auburn tries to try to use Anthony Schwartz I don't see any track star guys out there that are just gonna consistently that's what they're gonna do I see a lot of guys in between the hashes within 15 yards down the field peppering defenses across the middle of the field and I like to I like to hear that I like to think about that because this Auburn offense will get a lot more efficient in terms of completion percentage if they do that because they were asking Bonex once again to do a lot of impossible throws in the previous scheme I think that's going to make him look a lot better and it might not translate to necessarily an increase in yardage per se I I I think that it's going to just translate into more of a completion percentage and it really just depends on what these guys can do after the catch I I think Kobe Hudson probably has some ability with if I remember correctly from watching some of his Eli Stove-esque yeah I think I remember watching some some high school tape of Kobe Hudson and thinking that he had a couple of like you know because he was playing quarterback and like I think I remember seeing a little bit of shiftiness from him. I haven't obviously we haven't got to see that at the next level. We don't know what that what he's capable of at the next level. But I think if you can get some yak monsters coming in here, I don't think they're going to be world yards be- after catch folks out there. If y'all didn't yeah. catch that, I don't think they're going to be world beaters because I don't think anybody possesses that top end speed. But I think they're going to be very good and efficient over the middle and in short to intermediate routes. And then it just depends on can they make a guy miss or can you complete it five to eight yards down the field and you know kind of move I, they've I, got great receiver this, bodies too this, this might I, I love be, the i love the way they look, the receivers yeah. look kobe hudson as zach blackerby friend of the program also comes on on wednesdays he says this a lot he's just a natural looking wide receiver kobe hudson does look like that capers is in the same boat i feel like can canyon's huge yeah he, he's he's, he's big. a big receiver he's a big boy yeah. i love the way all and shedra jackson they were talking about him looking like he was ready for college football when he was in high school, mm-hmm. and he's the old guy in the room. Cedric Jackson is huge. That guy's built like a dude who can who can be a problem for you. He's built different. I mean, JJ Evans how it is. is a big guy as well, and that's just another guy. I don't think he's going to play a major factor in the room, mm-hmm. but I just throwing another receiver out there. I just I love a lot of the way that the 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 physique of a lot of these receivers on this receiver depth chart. Speaking of Shedrick Jackson, what are your thoughts on Shedrick Jackson in this offense? Because he's been an afterthought that's, and that's, aside from blocking. That's what I was saying. I think he's, he's the old guy in the room. To me, he's the most intriguing guy that we have in terms of 
we've had the mo- we've had the most time. We should have been able to see him. We just haven't really see, seen a lot out of him and what he brings to the table. But he's a veteran guy, and like you said, he's got a big body. I think he could flourish in an offense like this where you're looking for more guys who are going to just try to get some big big possessions You know, going down the field. I could see this offense if some of these receivers who what we're looking at become sort of possession receivers, a lot of in, a lot of short intermediate routes. This could be a kind of death by a thousand paper cuts type of <laughs> offense where you I can, where if you can throw some small intermediate passes and then you're looking at a second and three or maybe a third and three. Oh, guess what? You got Tank Bigsby back there. That can usually get you can usually rely on to get you at least two or three yards. I could see a lot of dink and dunk. Think of you know how Kellamond was operating at Texas A&M where he was just finding guys on short intermediate routes, not really beating you over the top a lot. A lot like Alex Smith at the next level. Charlie. Yeah, if you want to do that. Those to running backs more than anybody else. Auburn could do that. I mean, that could be something legitimately Auburn does if they get the tight ends involved and have some of these receivers who look more possession. They're not going to beat you over the top a lot. I could see that happening. So I played myself going into this season thinking that Cedric Jackson was going to play a larger role. And I should have just been like, this coaching staff's not competent enough to figure that out. But I think this one is. Every single year. For the past two years, so I just, should have just said, for the past two years, I, I sit here and think, and maybe even since Shedrick Jackson did step onto campus, I feel like every single year I'm like, all right, this is this is Shedrick Jackson's year that he's going to get on the field more and he's going to show everybody what he can do because he's got a unique skill set. He's one of the best blockers that I've seen at wide receiver, and that's not hyperbole. I, I mean that. His sole usage on this football team has been to block at wide receiver. That's it. That 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 ought to tell you everything you know about his blocking ability. The guy can block like nobody's business at wide receiver. And that's and that's really rare, especially for a receiver at the collegiate level, because at the, that level, a lot of young guys come in and they want to show out. They want to put you know NFL tape on. Shows that he's a selfless player that doesn't mind getting dirty and letting the other guys take some uh you know take some of the roles. He's tough and yeah. he's big body. Like I said, he's not he's he's somebody that body wise and physique wise looks like he could be a problem for somebody. And I love the fact that he can already block. Oftentimes, blocking for a receiver comes after their ability to catch. And maybe the reason why I've played myself over these last couple of years, maybe he isn't ready yet to step out and start catching passes. Maybe he wasn't ready. He's gotten caught up in a log jam at wide receiver up until now where there have been countless receivers in front of him on the depth chart. Now that whole wave is gone. Now we'll see if he's ready to step into a pass-catching role because I know that's that's what everybody's wondering about right now. I just said that he can block like nobody's business, and probably what went off in a lot of people's heads was, okay, well, can he catch? Why have we not seen him out there yet? What can he do actually in the passing game? We'll see, but I think I think he's going to get a shot moving forward into 8A and in the passing game, and he's going to have to work his way just like everybody else is because this coaching staff doesn't have an allegiance to any of the guys on on Gus Malzahn's team or any of the guys that Gus Malzahn recruited but Shedrick Jackson's a tough guy he does things the right way and I I think his time may be coming I hope so I I think he is I think with a lot of what he possesses and you said that one pretty you said that better than uh, most people will give it credit for blocking usually comes last you usually don't have a guy who comes in Receivers how to don't block. want to block. It's an effort they, thing. Receivers they, are 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 was, so are so selfish. They are and, all selfish players. And Shedrick Jackson has shown he is not. not. He's shown selflessness. And all receivers get tagged with the the diva role. Prima a lot. Donna. That prima donna. They just want to catch and look flashy and look good. 
Shakespeare Jackson's been the opposite of that. So I think it's about time that he's due to get a little love for himself. He's due to get involved in the passing game and not just um, still use him as a— This coaching staff seems like it loves selfless, hardworking, tough guys. And I think he's going to be rewarded for that. It's all about the unit, not necessarily—it's not, it's not about the you, it's about the unit— and Shedra Jackson seems like he embodies he embodies some of those qualities. We'll see, though. The, the, we're we're going to talk about the depth chart at wide receiver tomorrow on the show. We'll continue our depth chart series and give you our predictions of what we think it looks like going into A-Day. I'm still not certain where I'm putting Shedra Jackson, mainly because I'm burned every year when I say that I, I think he's going to play a bigger we part of the just, offense. We, have, we just have no idea, man. We have no idea yeah, what's going to happen. Open. A-Day is going to be so exciting. It's I cannot wait. It's absolutely wide open at wide receiver, and, the, and these guys are just – you know soon they'll be getting into spring practice and so you know the coaching staff probably doesn't even know yet this is like the coaching staff doesn't even know this is just us predicting based off of what we've seen so far off of guys already in terms of playing time and and what we've seen with them out on the actual field and trying to guess based off of coaches personalities and scheme what's going to happen but the coaches probably don't even know yet because they haven't seen them in pads they haven't got they They haven't haven't got to play they haven't got to go with these guys yet they don't know i'm getting excited I'm getting excited it's, it's about so, football. Hey, it's so close. It's a football's year-round conversation, but we're getting close to the good stuff with spring football. And with that being said, on the other side of this break, we're going to predict some college basketball brackets. It's bracket season. Conference tournaments and Power 5 conferences. We're going to be taking you through the SEC bracket on the other side of this break here on On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show. Just keeping it going here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Go find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Conference tournament season got going today. Levi, you nervous? Duke season may be coming to an end pretty soon. Coming to an end. You look at this bracket (laughs) right here. First, they're playing Boston College. They're going to dismantle Boston College. It's probably going to be about a 14 to 20 point victory for the Blue Devils. Easiest game I'm ever going to predict on this show. Next, they'll go play Louisville after that. You know, a team that they took to overtime, probably should have won, but lost in overtime. That's an easy win. And then look who they're going up against. Leonard Hamilton and them boys of Florida State who have been exposed as frauds down the stretch. Everybody's beating Florida State right now down the stretch. Duke's going to do the same thing, and then they're going to just go into that matchup probably against either North Carolina or Virginia Tech. One win, they're in the ACC championship, and that's enough to get them in the tournament whether they win or lose. What do you mean Leonard Hamilton and them boys exposed as frauds? They've been getting beat by everybody. Notre Dame beat them. North Carolina beat them. They did beat them. I forgot about the North Carolina loss. You're not wrong. Everybody's beating them. Leonard Hamilton and the boys are going down when Duke beats Boston College, Louisville, Florida State. And then they're either going to play Virginia Tech or North Carolina. doesn't matter. They win that game. They're in the NCAA tournament. You might be selling me on a run here for Duke in the ACC tournament. But this segment's not about talking about the ACC tournament. We just wanted to very lightly touch on the ACC because it did start today. Miami, you know, they... They they just beat Pittsburgh 79-73 in the early game. Duke tips off in, what, 30 minutes, if I'm not mistaken? Maybe less than that. No, eight minutes. Eight minutes. Ha-ha. Yeah, they're on ACC Network. Time zones are confusing. Eastern and Central, <laughs> I can't read them. 3.30 p.m. ACC Network, Duke's 13-point favorites. Uh, the home team against Boston College. Boston College at 4-15, Duke at 11-11. Yeah, I, I think you're probably pretty safe to say that Duke will be moving on to the next round. But the point of this segment and the next is to go through the SEC tournament bracket. The SEC tournament beginning tomorrow at 6 p.m. on SEC Network. No Auburn in this field, so there's only one game in the first round. 13-seeded Texas A&M against 12-seeded Vanderbilt. We're going to go through our complete bracket here, our predictions for it. I put mine up on Twitter, at Point Gardner, if you want to go follow along, get my thoughts on those picks as well. 
Um, I didn't go chalk. Chalk makes me uncomfortable. When does the postseason ever go chalk when you're talking about bracket season? So I, I, I found myself picking a little chalky. Then I was like, ah, we need, we need to make some adjustments. And I started picking the games where I felt like we're most likely to be upsets. I kind of slotted those in there. But I don't expect this SEC tournament to go chalk. And I think the top half of the bracket is more prone to upsets than the bottom half of the bracket. But I think you're going to see some on both sides, especially in the early rounds. And then a big one in the top half. And so I'm already kind of giving that away a little bit. But we'll, t- we'll talk about that as the show goes on here. We'll start off briefly here. Who do you think wins the opening round matchup tomorrow? A&M Vanderbilt. I'm just going to roll with Vanderbilt. I think A&M they're playing has... playing good right now. They're, 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 they're might be the 12th seed, but they're still playing good basketball. They've been in a lot of close games. They were in it with Alabama. They were in it with Auburn. I mean, obviously Auburn isn't you know a world beater themselves. But Vanderbilt has played pretty well. They lost by four to a Kentucky team. They've... I'll say that Vanderbilt has been playing better down the stretch than A&M has. They've been I like shooting the, the ball. offense. Yeah, they've been shooting the ball pretty well. And again, Texas A&M is going to want to slow it down and play defense. But I just like what Vanderbilt's been doing. I think that they've done a very good job of, I don't want to say salvaging the season in terms of really doing anything drastic. but They're improving. Yeah, they've gotten better. They're like, not if the worst team in the SEC. They're the 12th seed. A&M's the 13th seed. They've, they've, That's the difference maker for me in this game because AM hasn't played basketball. They have not played more than 20 games yet going into this tournament. That's Yeah, that's fair. That's fair to say. When you they miss had a, a lot. massive break, like a month-long break of COVID. These guys cannot be ready for and the look SEC at, tournament right now. And you look at every single team that has dealt with COVID protocols. They've almost exclusively lost when they've came back. I mean, you look at Baylor. Baylor was a good example of that. And to be fair to A&M, though, and I don't want to spend too much more time on this because this is only the first-round matchup, but A&M has lost their last two, but they've played those teams close. They haven't gotten blown out. They haven't been shamed. But I still feel like when you're talking about where teams are at in their development curve, A&M's been about a month not able to develop as a team whereas Vanderbilt has been able to progress as the year has gone on these two teams are in completely different places going into the postseason Vanderbilt I I think is going to get the dub in this one mainly for that reason well then let's go top to the bottom now here in the second round nine seed Mississippi State at eight seed Kentucky the winner will advance to play one seed Alabama I know you're going to agree me on this one I think Kentucky I think that despite how they played this year I think this is still a Kentucky team that is talented they still have coach Cal who's a great coach you're playing a Mississippi State team that, honestly, has been pretty underwhelming a lot down the stretch. I think Kentucky's played a little bit better. I mean, you look at some of the similar Kentucky- styles as well. This is yeah, the way be- that the game. This is the way that Kentucky wants the game to be played. And when you're playing, when you're playing to your style, if that's how the Kentucky wants to play. I'm going to go with the more talented roster, and I think the more talented roster is Kentucky. And you look at Kentucky. Yes, they've lost a couple games down the stretch, but since they got blown out at Alabama, they have been in every game. Every game has been close and competitive. It's their defense. Their defense is top-notch. Their offense is what they've got to find. And for a little bit, you know, obviously they had a really tough stretch in the middle of the SEC schedule. Recently here down the, down the stretch, you know, they've beaten Tennessee over the last couple of weeks. They've, they have found offense in some games. They found it against Auburn. Go figure. They have found offense in some of their games. Others they have not. They ended the season on a cold note shooting the basketball. I think that's going to affect them in the SEC tournament, but I do think they have enough with a good matchup here against Mississippi State. We both got them advancing. And I also like that you played Arkansas, which is, you know, who's the hottest team in the SEC a few weeks ago, lost by one to them. Played them tough. And then you have that last game against South Carolina where they have an offensive explosion. It's South Carolina. Let's be honest. You expect that. Auburn scored a, you know, Auburn scored Buku's points on them as well. I think it's a, 
think that was a perfect position for them to be in. You go into that game, you beat you beat South Carolina, and you score the basketball. You go into the SEC tournament with a little little confidence that you can score. It might be false confidence because you played South Carolina, but at least you feel better about yourself going in. 12-seed Vanderbilt against 5-seed Florida as we both have 8-seed Kentucky advancing to go play Alabama. We'll touch on that game later. Let's go quickly through this one. 12-seed Vanderbilt, 5-seed Florida to advance to play the 4-seed Tennessee. I think Florida is just a much better basketball team. I'm not even going to try to get too in-depth with this one. Florida is just an outright better basketball team. I think they win this one. I I think, honestly, they win it pretty handily. Even though Vanderbilt has been improving, I think Florida is just going to have this one and they're going to win inside game that's the main difference i see between these two teams florida believe it or not the top two point percentage team in the sec this year and these two teams like to play on the inside florida's got the edge down low that's where they win this one 10 seed georgia against seven seed missouri are you feeling what i'm putting down on this one my man i see i see what you did i know what you did I don't know if I'm sold. I do think, it. I think Missouri's going to beat Georgia. I no. can't go. I can't keep doing it. I, I I want to really badly. I like Georgia. I think that's going to be a competitive game. Georgia, another team that has played, they've improved at certain times. The problem is they haven't improved in consistency. Sometimes you get a Georgia team where you look at them and you go, oh, they're doing they this a lot 90. better. And then you look at them the next week and they're just getting yeah. absolutely shelled by a team that they should not be getting beat by. I feel like Georgia looked good against Alabama. Obviously, oh, they did, when, you, yeah. when you curb it down from 30 or 40 point loss, the first time went 15 to 82, and then you bring it this next time you only lose by 10. They shot above 45% against Alabama. They brought the offense against one of the best defensive teams in the country. Missouri right now, they are stumbling. They're up and down. They've lost more games than they've won over the last seven games. This Missouri team has fallen apart over the course of the year. This is a game that I feel like benefits Georgia because Georgia is going to speed up Missouri, get them out of their comfort zone. Georgia is going to turn this into a high-octane game of basketball, and they're going to outscore Missouri over their last seven games. Five of the last seven, they've given up 78 points or more. This Georgia team likes to score, and they can do it well. I, I think they upset Missouri in the first round. And um, I don't know. And this year, that's not going to put a team like Missouri on, on the bubble, but in other years, that, that definitely should have I would should be, have happened. I won't be surprised if that happens. Like I said, I'm fringe on this one. I'm, very, I'm teeter-tottering on it, but I think Missouri is going to show up. I think they play a little bit better than they have down the stretch, and I, I think it goes opposite. I think when Georgia tries to speed it up, I've seen Missouri struggle with slow teams like Ole Miss. I, I think they they might play a little bit better. Tennessee's another example. It. Yeah, I think they play a little bit better against a team like Georgia. Even though it doesn't really make sense in my brain, I think they do just because I've seen them struggle against the slower teams. We'll keep taking a look at this bracket on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're 30 minutes out from the drive with Bill Cameron coming up on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. No Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on On the Line. We're going through the SEC tournament bracket, and we almost finished the second round picks here before we get to the quarterfinals. Last one to make here as we have Kentucky advancing to the quarters, Florida advancing to the quarters. I've got Georgia, you've got Missouri, so we're split there advancing to the quarterfinals. And then now here, 11-seed South Carolina at 6-seed Ole Miss. Is it safe to say that Ole Miss is the team advancing in both of our brackets? 
Yeah, I believe so. We didn't even really have to spend too much time on this one. I just think Ole Miss is a better, just an outright better basketball team. I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to hang with this Ole Miss team in the tournament. They've slipped up in a couple of games recently. They lost to Mississippi State and Vanderbilt when they absolutely didn't need to because they were trying to play their way into a into an at-large tournament bid. They've prob- they're probably going to have to go on a pretty special run here to, to get, get yeah. because they're, they're going to have to beat South Carolina here, and then in the next round they would take on three-seed LSU. They'd have to beat LSU, and then I think they would probably – yeah. oh, no, definitely. I, I think they would definitely have to beat two-seed Arkansas if it were to go that far, and you would kind of hope for them – that Arkansas would have advanced past Georgia because that's where you that you need another you need another resume boosting win. And if you were to beat Arkansas, make it all the way to the SEC championship, and you look at their record and they got ten losses. If we're considering Duke for the NCAA tournament, I think I think they, they were eleven and ten. I, I think, think they to, pushed them off um, <laughs> after last week and what happened with North Carolina. But, but my uh, point still stands true. If they were considering Duke at eleven and ten, you got to consider. You'd Ole have Miss. to consider Ole Miss if they went on some type of run there. But only, both of us are going to advance to Ole Miss here. I only worry about Ole Miss being able to put up some offensive numbers against South Carolina oh, yeah. because that that has been that has been the death of them when they lose games is not having enough offensive output but look everybody's scoring on South Carolina everybody's <laughs> scoring if you can't score on South Carolina you don't belong in the tournament anyway and you honestly deserve to lose that game I don't think that happens I think Ole Miss defense they're gonna slow it down they're gonna play efficient I'm taking I'm taking them I just don't just watch out if Ole Miss can't score they're on upset alert easy so now let's go back to the top of the bracket with the quarterfinals we both got eight seed Kentucky against one seed Alabama. Three games to go to lift up that SEC tournament trophy. Alabama making their SEC tournament debut in our bracket now here. Eight seed Kentucky against one seed Alabama. That'll that'll happen on Friday in our brackets. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know a game that's going to be coming up before dawn, before the sun even rises at eleven a.m. So Alabama early. fans are consensus. They they are across uh, just a consensus look. They are nervous about this game. Yeah, and I think I think they should be because I think Kentucky wins this game. I think they come out oh. and they finally flex that Kentucky muscle. They're oh. a talented basketball team. I think they come in, and I think this is going to come from not just experience in terms of veteran, because I think Alabama has the veteran leadership in terms of teams better. I think that Coach Cal is Kentucky. We've been here before. Alabama hasn't been in this situation with this kind of roster and with Nate Oates at the helm that you'd like to see from Coach Cal's perspective. I, I think Coach Cal outcoaches Nate Oates in this game, and I think Kentucky ends up winning. Ooh, that's an interesting take. I haven't heard that one too often, breaking down the difference in coaches here, but... I'm taking Alabama to advance. This is going to be a defensive game. I'm not magically expecting Alabama to just flip the switch on offense going into the SEC tournament. I think that what they've struggled with in the regular season is going to linger now going into the postseason. And unfortunate for them, and they're trying to get hot again. They're trying to reignite going into tournament play. If they can reignite their offense, this is a team that could go to the Final Four, maybe even the national championship, just like that Auburn team did a couple of years ago. But if they can't reignite, well, things could get ugly and they could get bounced out relatively early, not only the SEC tournament, but also in the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately for Alabama, the teams that they're going to play in the top half of the bracket and why I don't think this side of the bracket goes chalk, they're all good at defense. Like, really good at defense. And Kentucky's known for their defense. Tennessee's really good at defense. And Florida's not half bad either. And Kentucky can slow down that game. You want to know what can stop an Alabama offense, even if they get hot? Limiting possessions. If you can keep them from getting a chance to score a lot, again, you're going to have to be efficient and score the basketball yourself, which is why Alabama should win this game. But I think Kentucky can slow it down, shut them down, and 
score enough points because Alabama's a good defensive team and that's it's going to be hard it's going to be hard but I think they will get that done I don't think they will I don't think Kentucky the finds and, the points and that's the difference in, in our pick 100% yeah, it, I, I don't think Alabama looks good on offense in this game but I, 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 I think Kentucky looks worse we, we agree with that we agree yeah. that we don't think Alabama's gonna look good offensively the other side of it is Alabama has more options if their shot isn't dropping they create turnovers with steals and an up-tempo style play they also crash the offensive glass a whole lot more than Kentucky does they create more possessions so even if Alabama does shoot a lower percentage than Kentucky maybe Kentucky's more efficient on the offensive end of the floor Alabama's going to create more possessions and enough possessions to outlast Kentucky in this ball game on offensive rebounds alone so that's why I got Alabama moving on five seed Florida against four seed Tennessee what you got this one's tough for me. This one's tough. And it's This I'm, might be the hardest pick of the quarterfinals. I'll say it again. I know I'm a broker record. I know we said it all year. What Tennessee team are we going to get? Say that for any of these teams. In oh, the yeah. SEC the SEC tournament. has been so inconsistent. I'm gonna roll with the Vols. I know I know you're going opposite of me. I think oh, that yeah. Tennessee has been playing. So we have a completely different semifinal matchup. Oh yeah. I, and that's good. That's good. That you can go in depth on one way, I can go in yep. depth on another game. I think Tennessee has played pretty well down the stretch outside of L- at LSU. They didn't play very well, but they have struggled in true road games. This won't be a true road environment. I think they can come in. They've already beaten Florida by eleven, you know, within the past, you know, days or so. There's a pretty good chance that I think they can come out again. They can do enough, but also I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee doesn't show up and they get blown out. <laughs> that's just what this team is. So I'm well, not. That's been this series this year between yes. Florida and Tennessee. Tennessee has blown out Florida, and, Flor- and Florida has blown out Tennessee, and it's been at it, it's been when the team has had to leave their home court. If I'm being honest, this pick for me, if you're out there just hanging on my every word, just take everything with a grain of salt. This game is going to be. It's it's like you. It's hard to pick this. This is a coin flip. You could honestly probably do better off just flipping a coin and saying, "All right, that's the team I'm rolling with." Well, the last team that Tennessee played was Florida, and they won by 11 on their home floor. Though they went to Florida earlier in the year, got smacked, and got smacked. It was a blowout loss. I'm taking Florida to advance in this one mainly because I have such a hard time picking Tennessee away from home. That's when they've gotten caught. Florida actually hasn't been that that bad of a road team compared to Tennessee on the road I like this Florida team more offensively away from their home court than I do with Tennessee going against a team that's competent that plays defense actually pretty well they're they're one of the more under the radar teams defensively in this league because you don't think of Florida in this league this year with defense you think Alabama you think Kentucky you think Tennessee you think Ole Miss to a degree you think Arkansas you think all of those teams Florida actually plays pretty good defense statistically and I'll get to that in in the next matchup that I've got them going I've got 10-seed Georgia against 2-seed Arkansas. You've got chalk there, 7-seed Missouri against 2-seed Arkansas. What you looking at here? Do we both have the Razorbacks advancing to the semifinals? No, I think Missouri's going to get this. One. We've been hating Missouri all year long, but think about this. Even when Arkansas has been hot, Missouri has played them well. In two matchups this year, you have Missouri who went into into Arkansas. The only home loss that the Razorbacks have. That was so long have. ago. It was, and Arkansas is a different team now, but even then when they played it, when they played them, when Missouri played Arkansas on their home court, it was a five-point loss. I think Missouri, they're going to get Arkansas away from home. They already beat them on their home court. I think Missouri is going to pull off an upset against Arkansas. They've been too hot. All they keep hearing is how good they are. They're Oh, this Arkansas team's the better team in the SEC. They're playing the best basketball right now. They're going to eat the cheese, and Missouri's going to make them pay for it. Oh, man. 
Well, I've got ten Georgia against two Arkansas, and I don't see Arkansas say, losing that I know game against Georgia. I know the I know I know we've been Missouri haters all year long, and this is nothing to do with them. I don't do have Missouri them. making it out of the second round, man. I just think that Arkansas they're going to get a little big headed. They've been they're going to eat the cheese. Everybody's been talking about how good they are, and I think they come out with a little bit of a lackluster performance. And then Missouri's on the other hand, they're starting to feel that wrath of people turning on them real quick. I actually think Arkansas has a lot to prove, and I feel like they feel that. I, I think Musselman brings a chip on your shoulder type of attitude to this team, an underdog-like attitude, a workman attitude, kind of a Brian Harson-like attitude because, A, he comes from Nevada, and he had to prove himself at Arkansas. True. But on top of that, everybody's the darling of the SEC the entire year is Alabama, and Arkansas's been the one fighting that narrative all year long, and now here they are at the end, and they've worked hard to get here. The biggest thing that scares me about Arkansas is that they peak too early, and they're going to cool off right at the start of the SEC tournament and it's just a loss is due right and I mean, that's 21 and, and five and a loss is due but and that's what makes me lean towards that Missouri pick honestly Arkansas is a safer bet Arkansas should win that game obviously if you're trying to pick an upset I could just see this happening I could see with everything going on Missouri maybe they going get, on a little bit of a run maybe get maybe Arkansas just getting caught sleeping a little bit I'm taking Arkansas to beat Georgia in my bracket I, I have no confidence in Georgia being able to beat Arkansas no. in any facet of the game of basketball if those two teams were to yeah. square off and there was a blowout between those two teams earlier this year now georgia played them close i think in a return trip but arkansas has looked a lot better than uga traditionally last game here because we're about to head to a break six seed old miss against three seed lsu yeah I don't, clash of styles here it's a clash of styles i don't think old miss has enough offense to keep up with LSU's offense. I just don't think Ole Miss can bring the points. I think I think LSU's going to win that game simply for the fact that Ole Miss I don't know how they're going to score enough. That's what I'm saying. Like I just don't think there's enough points that they can score. LSU would have to have an astronomically terrible game in my opinion from the offensive side. I don't think side. that's going to happen because they've been able to score on pretty much everybody they've played against no matter how good the defense is. They've been able to score Whereas when they've played some subpar offenses, some average offenses like Ole Miss, they've actually been able to contend with them pretty well and hold them pretty low. I don't think that Ole Miss scores enough in this one. I wonder, you know, if they score 72 points against LSU, that's not enough. This LSU team really could get into the high 70s, you know, low mid 80s against this Ole Miss team that typically limits possessions and slows a game down and plays pretty good defense. But this LSU team, I trust a lot more against Ole Miss. I don't think Ole Miss can can score enough in this one. So, I mean, you look at their last matchup; it was seventy-five to sixty-one, and that's you know that's pretty low for even LSU when you're thinking about the offense that they can bring to the table. And you look at some of their other slower games: LSU versus Texas A&M still scored seventy-eight. They only scored sixty-nine against Kentucky. Maybe kind of an outlier there. I just think even if Mississippi puts or if Ole Miss puts the clamps on them, I think LSU still scores more than Ole Miss can bring to the table offensively. All right, so semifinal matchups here. In my bracket, I've got one seed Alabama against five seed Florida, and two seed Arkansas against three seed LSU. So that looks pretty chalk. Brace yourself. What do you have in yours and that then, is not chalk? And then mine is eight seed Kentucky going up against four seed Tennessee, and then you got seven seed Missouri going up against three seed LSU. No chalk in this one. No chalk at all. I don't think it gets that wayward, but I I, I don't think this thing goes chalk all the way through, it's, which it's is where mine's out, about to divert. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility simply because. 
that's just what the SEC has been. It could it could inconsistently end up like well, that. Well, I like your Missouri pick to a degree. I don't think they get out of the second round for me. I do think they get upset by Georgia. But if you're going to say that a team gets hot, we've seen several times throughout the SEC tournament's history, many times throughout the SEC tournament's history, that that team that plays in the second round gets that extra game to play. They get hot and they go on a run. Whereas some of those teams that you know show up in the quarterfinals, they didn't have that game to jumpstart them. They had, you know, a lot of times in the past a week off. Well, now you've got the Saturday games this year because of postponements that maybe gives them a little bit of that jumpstart. But they've had about a week and a half off now. and Or, or excuse me, not a week and a half. They've had about uh, a half of a week or a little bit more than that off going into this into this game, whereas Missouri already had a game to jumpstart them up a little bit. Maybe that fuels a run. I don't know. I think that Missouri team loses in the second round. But we'll get to those semifinal matchups and who we think wins the SEC tournament on the other side of this break here on On the Line. You're on the line with North Gardner and Levi Fitzwater wrapping up the show here on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. But before we do, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. A new episode of The Voice is on NBC starting at 8. It's part 4 of the Blind Auditions. If you're not first, you're last. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby is on IFC at 7. Global Warming triggers a new ice age. The Day After Tomorrow is on Paramount at 6. Get lost in a virtual world with Ready Player One on TNT at 7. Intergalactic robots take their war to Earth. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen is on Sci-Fi at 6.30. Conference tournaments and college basketball continue with the power conferences getting into the mix at six on acc network wake forest and notre dame wrap up the first round of the acc tournament on espn2 mount st mary's and bryant clash in the northeast conference championship over on espn oakland and cleveland state play in the horizon league title game moving to 8 p.m oral roberts versus north dakota state and the summit league championship on espn2 number one gonzaga looks to win the wcc on espn i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight Some breaking news uh, or a developing story possibly taking place here in the Auburn basketball world before we wrap up our SEC tournament bracket here. We got about six minutes left in the show before the drive with Bill Cameron out on the Twitterverse. Uh, Blue check mark here, Jake at Jake Weingarten, founder of StockRisers.com in his Twitter bio there. Breaking Auburn's Justin Powell is expected to enter the transfer portal this week, a source told at Stock Risers, Powell averaged 11.7 points per game, 6.1 rebounds, and 4.7 assists in 10 games. This is a wildly developing story. Obviously, the tweet there says expected to enter the transfer portal. See how this goes. This is a shocker to me. And there's nothing that we we haven't seen anything you know super specific yet about this. What caused this? You know, and again, it said it's expected to happen. It hasn't really happened yet. We were kind of shell-shocked. We went to the break happy. We were going through SEC tournament brackets, and the next thing you know, we're just trying to figure out what's going on here. It's big. It's big for Auburn's depth next year. You're missing out a guy who you didn't even really get to – you never got to see him finish out. You know, he had the head injury, never really got to came, never really got to come back from that. I want to know what is in the decision-making process for this. Was it – and expected of not having a lot of playing time next year. Maybe he just didn't feel comfortable at Auburn. I'm not sure what it is. I just hope that whatever the reason is, I hope the best for Justin Powell moving forward, whether he does decide to transfer out or stay on the planes. And I just hope that everything's okay with him. And it's it's shocking. This is shocking news. I mean, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I'm struggling to find 
find words to even describe this. You know, Lance Dahl, friend of the show. We're going to have to chew on this for a day because it break it, it breaks literally at the yeah, last it, segment it, of our show. We need to have enough time to process it. But yeah, <sighs> friend of the show, Lance Dahl, tweets out, currently having a breakdown in, in, in response to this news. So, Lance, I hope you're, out, I hope you're okay out there, buddy. It's going to be fine. It's, it's tough. And then also um, looking at a 24-7 sports account, Travis Branham. At Travis Branham underscore at 24-7 Sports National Basketball Analyst. He's tweeting about it as well. Uh, he says Auburn freshman Justin Powell is transferring. He tells that 24-7 Sports. So there's some people picking this up right now. Um, those are the main two places that I've seen it at the moment. I'm sure that more will come out about this as we go on. We've only got three minutes left in our show here, and we've got some SEC tournament brackets to wrap up here as we're in the semifinals. I've got Alabama, Florida. I'm just going to go ahead and make my my pick here to tell you who's going to the championship. I got Florida going on to the SEC championship here and kind of a little bit of a, a tournament run themselves, maybe improve their seating a bit. The big difference here is Florida's the top three-point defending team in the SEC, they hold opponents below 30%. I think Alabama is going to struggle in this game to score, mainly because I still don't think that they'll have reignited their offense at this point. That combined with the fact that this Florida team does a good job of scoring down low, they shoot a high percentage at the free throw line at like 77%. I think they do find the offense in this one to upset an Alabama team. They just match up well with this Crimson Tide team and what Alabama wants to do. So this one's about matchups for me. No chalk, upset going to the SEC title game. And then the bottom half bracket for me before uh, I'll let you go through your semifinals. Two-seed Arkansas, three-seed LSU. I've got Arkansas going on. I really like this Arkansas team a lot. This is a style of play game. Both of these teams like to run the floor. The difference here is with both of these teams being able to score, LSU is inept defensively one of the worst defensive teams in this league i think arkansas has their way offensively in that one it'll be a close one it'll be a fun one in the semifinals i like arkansas going on to the sec championship and then for mine at the top half of that bracket i have eight kentucky against four tennessee they traded home and homes or they traded you know road wins over each other i think kentucky they get the bad tennessee team they're they're hot after beating alabama they come in and play well tennessee we get the bad tennessee that shows up kentucky wins goes to the semifinals and at the bottom I've got seven Missouri against three LSU. These teams already played once before. LSU knocked them off. I'm tempted to say that Missouri gets hot and rolls through it, but I can't make it. I think LSU has too much. LSU has too much offense for them. I think LSU ends up advancing in my bracket to play Kentucky in the SEC tournament finals. And I'm just going to assume you picked Kentucky to win that game and Uh, get into the NCAA tournament. I think Kentucky is going to wipe the floor with LSU, and that's it in that uh, game right there. The situation presents itself that Kentucky is hot. LSU pretty good even though Kentucky already walloped them earlier this year they're going to win and everything will be right in the world as a blue blood gets the automatic tournament qualifier yeah no way Kentucky wins the SEC tournament not a chance not a chance my uh my championship prediction a little bit more uh (laughs) a little bit more chalk than maybe what you went with five Florida against two seed Arkansas the SEC title game that game at noon on Sunday on ESPN I got Arkansas winning that one this is a game where uh, you know, right now I, I really like this Arkansas team. Like I said, in, in, in the semifinal matchup against LSU, and then they go to this game against a Florida team that's just not as good offensively as Arkansas is. This Arkansas team can put eighty up on you every time they step out on the floor. They're extremely efficient on the offensive end for a team that has as many possessions across the span of a ball game. They like to run the floor. I think that's going to make Florida uncomfortable. A team that doesn't necessarily want to run the floor as much as Arkansas does. The other thing that Arkansas does really well, they force a lot of turnovers. They're long defensively that is the difference in in championship games that's the difference when you reach this far in in, in March when you go this far in a tournament the little things the free throws the turnovers and scoring off of turnovers and this Arkansas team's adept at it I got them winning the SEC championship 
I mean, Kentucky's got the best coach. That's what's going to happen. That's it for another edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the show, The Drive with Bill Cameron, following us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back tomorrow. You know where to find us.